It's good to be here. If you don't know me, my name is Adam. We've not been here for a while, so we're kind of new. People seem friendly. Um, I don't know where I'd begin. I guess I want to begin by saying thank you. Uh, you prayed for us from August 2018, which seems like a long time ago. It isn't that long ago, but lots has happened in many of our lives and in the world. Uh, and the journey that God led us on has been costly, steps of faith, not always easy. At times you have these moments where it feels unbearably hard. But throughout it all, we've known that we've never been alone. We've known that there is a God that's closer than any person. His name is Jesus. He walks alongside us. And he's led us well. And for that, I want to begin by honoring and recognizing the God above all gods who leads us, provides for us, and cares for us. And I also do want to express my gratitude to the many people that prayed for us delivered breakfasts, moved boxes, so many boxes. Where do all the boxes come from? Uh, that led us to the moment where yesterday we moved into the house. And that was, that was good but strange. You know when you waited for something a long time that actually happens, you're like, really? Um, and it's going to happen for a while. I kind of quite like that feeling. Uh, but it was good. And it was, it's, it was good to be away. It was good to visit my family. It was good to be back, uh, back to seeing people. It, it's quite a strange scenario. The UK has really suffered. Uh, they went from Brexit to COVID to these variants of COVID. For those of you that may be concerned, uh, you may like to know that in the last few weeks, we've had 32 COVID tests. So rest assured, uh, I'm not going to make you sick today. That's very unlikely. But I want to give you that confidence um, that where we've been has had a different experience to what we've had. And we wanted to um, be considerate as we come back into this community. So it's good to be here. Okay. Right. <laughs> it does feel like the first, I said to Sarah as we were driving, it feels like it's the first Sunday. It feels like it's a new, feels like for us, it feels like it's a new beginning. Um, I quite like that. Some of the things that last two and a half years, I'm happy to leave behind. Anyway, what we're going to do today, I want to look at a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to look at this differently. I'm going to frame this differently to how I've looked at some messages and sermons before. So often in the Western world, we talk about God as if we're trying to prove his existence. That's often the reoccurring conversation. In Jesus' world, and so often even now in the Eastern world, they're less interested in arguing for God's existence and more interested for exploring what is God like. Not is he real, but what is he like. I quite like this idea. Even in the Western world, most people believe in God. At some point, somewhere, doing something. So if we move away from that fairly dull conversation of whether you do or don't, and follow Jesus' lead into what is God like? Who is this God like? And then I want to bring us into it, and what are we like? 
And how do those two mesh together? And what do we need to do about that? So what is God like? What are we like? And how does that mesh together? That's what we want to look at. A familiar passage, but that's the way I want us to frame this and look at this. So I'm going to begin with some interaction. This is not just for the children and the kids, but it could be. So let's see if there are... I need seven volunteers, and all you're going to need to do is stand up in your seat and read what's in this envelope. There's not a lot to read. It's one sentence. Are there seven volunteers? And they could be younger. They could be older. I really don't mind. Sarah, can you be the the distributor of these? And let's try and involve some of the kids if they're willing, enthusiastic as well. So there's seven here. If you're watching online, we're giving out envelopes. They don't know what's in the, the envelope. If you're putting your hand up thinking it's going to be a prize, um, maybe put your hand down. <laughs> but equally, we're just exploring an idea. And I'm going to start by putting an image on the screen of a tax collector. In this state, many of you will be familiar with this person. So... In, in Jesus' time, the Roman government were running the show, and they were taxing people. Are they all gone? Don't open them yet. Don't open them yet. I think they're all out. So in Jesus' time, there was the Roman government, and they were running the show, and they were oppressive leaders, and they were taxing people. And these taxes were hard to, to, to calculate. Often the person who was the tax collector would add to the figure and take as much money as they could or wanted to at that time. It was a corrupt society. And you had to pay your taxes. Sometimes if you owed a debt, the debt would just keep growing. And the interest that it would grow would sometimes be bigger than what the number was at first. So for some people, they got stuck in this system and never, ever got out of these never-ending debts that always had to be paid. Seven envelopes. Why don't you all open them? And once you've opened them, one at a time, I'll ask you to stand up and say, My name is and I owe, and there's a number on your piece of paper so there's seven okay just read it as it is would be would be so your name is James and you owe two thousand dollars okay thank you James Debbie owes five thousand this is like a game show John owes 50,000. At this point, some people are thinking, what's John been up to? Okay. Katie owes $1,000. Michelle owes $100,000. At this point, some people are probably thinking, what has that person done? How do they get into this situation? Because often, even in the ancient world, there is this sense of a judging, judging, guessing. Oh, there's one more. Jacob at the back. He's young, but he's 20,000 in debt already. He's not even got to college yet. 
So people had these numbers that were stuck with them, these debts, and so often they got to a point where they never, ever got out of them. And people would judge how they've got into these situations. I'm going to start with this story, we'll end with this story. I want you to consider this. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, one of the expressions, one of the translations of the way he taught them to pray was forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And just imagine that a person steps in and collects all seven of the debts and says, I'm going to take them all and I'm going to pay them all. Just imagine that that happens. Such a strange idea that somebody would come in and pay somebody else's debt. And in many ways, as the story of Jesus goes on, that's exactly what we see him doing. Let me ask this question and then we'll get into the passage. If this Jesus walks into this room, collects the seven debts, the 100, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, and $100,000 debt, if Jesus collects them all, who is most grateful? It's not a trick question. The person with the big debt. Yeah, totally. If you've got a car loan that's this big and a house loan that's this big, guess which one you want wiped out? So of course that person is most grateful. But I say this as we move into this story. All have been forgiven their debts. Everyone was in debt. From the largest loan to the smallest, we all had a debt to pay. Keep thinking on this as we look at this passage. Familiar passage, Luke 15. It's the parable, the story of the lost son. We're going to read from verse 11 to the end. And I'm going to get a glass of some water while it comes up on the So again, for those of you that know this story, we're not looking at it to see what we learn. We're looking at it to see what we learn about, learn from an academic, I know something I didn't know. That may happen. But the goal in Jesus' teaching is to show us what God is like. So again, we're looking at what is God like and what are people like. And we'll come back to the, the debt prop. I'm going to read it through once and then I'm going to read it again and pause. Jesus said... There was a man who had two sons. When Jesus is telling this story, Jesus is representing God as the father in telling us what God is like and the two sons as people, you and me. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after the younger son got together, all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Remember that. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country because none of us know what's around the corner, as we've seen in our lived experience in recent days. He began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home. He replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf. And because he's come back safe and sound, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf and kill him. My son, the father says, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate And be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a fascinating story. For many of us, we've heard that before. We've heard this before, or so we think. It's interesting that Jesus almost certainly made up these stories to communicate what God is like. And equally, to always place us in the story. To show us what we are like. And it's not generated just so the people that heard this parable when Jesus communicated it the first time went home and said, oh, that was interesting. But it was always to challenge them and to move them so that something would shift inside of them. The goal being that they would shift in closer relationship with God the Father. So let's look at it again. I'm going to pause a few times. The sun begins by saying, I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. This is not a new idea for many of us. Many of us at times have had this, I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. I know what's best. And often there's parents or teachers or educators or people that we know that probably do know better than us, but in that moment it's hard to hear them. We want to go our own way, do our own thing. This is familiar. Many of us would go, yes, I've had that moment, I've made that speech, and I've sometimes had to go back to someone and say, hey, you you were right all along. This is not a new idea. Not long after, he goes off, he spends and he loses all his money. It's easier to spend than it is to save 
And again, many of us would connect and nod with that idea. And sure enough, easy come, easy go. He gets a job that he doesn't like. And it's a lousy job. And it doesn't tell us in this story how long he endured that, but it was long enough for where you began. And sometimes we begin with an idea and we think, well, this is okay. But eventually we have this moment where we go, this is, this is lousy. I've been pretending it's okay for too long, where really this is not okay. Now, some people take longer on that time scale than others. But there are times for all of us when we're in a situation, in a job, in a any number of situation where we're pretending it's okay, but deep down we know that it isn't. Deep down we know that something isn't right. And there is this moment, and it says, when he came to his senses, and it feels like it's a chapter term, there is this moment for all of us where we know we're not living right. We know that the situation, the job, the relationship, whatever it is, isn't as it should be. And there's a moment that says, when he came to his senses. Thank God for that moment. For many of us, it's the beginning of a shift in a better direction. The story goes on. I'm going to go back. He knows he's messed up hugely. He's not just asked for money, but he's really dishonored his father and the family in his actions and he knows that so he prepares this speech and the speech isn't just I'm sorry can I pay you back but in an eastern culture where the family dynamic was very close he says I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore what an interesting way to apologize for spending lots of money Many of us would say, I'm sorry I spent lots of money. But he says, I don't deserve even to be considered your son. That's his beginning, that's his speech. And he rehearses this speech. He goes through it in his mind what he's going to say. And many of us may have rehearsed a speech. It may be, this is how I'm going to resign. Or this is how I'm going to end this. Or this is how I'm going to begin this. I will tell you a true embarrassing story about a rehearsed speech that went wrong. When I was 15 years old, I liked this girl at school. And as many of us may have done, I'm telling you a story that's about me, but many of you may have a similar story. You can share them later. I wanted to tell this girl that I liked her, and I was hoping that she was going to tell me something similar back. When I was 15, we didn't phone people's cell phones, we phoned people's houses. You can see where this is going. And I rehearsed it. I knew what I was going to say. I had ironed out the wrinkles, and the 15-year-old version of me felt, this is, this is good. So I phoned. And you know when the phone rings and they're not engaged? It's both exciting and scary at the same time. Here we go. Phone answered. In. I said it. And then there was this pause. And there was a slightly awkward response from the older brother on the other end <laughs> of the phone. Because sometimes you can rehearse something all you like. It just doesn't land. 
moving on. He's got his speech. He's got his strategy. He knows what he's going to say. It's, it's organized. The fact that the story begins with he was on a dis- at a distant land, and now he's coming back. He's had a long time to think about the story, what he's going to say. How's his dad going to be? What's the brother going to be like? A long time to consider. Sometimes many of us are in situations for a long time, and we think it's going to go a certain way. And then God, in his grace, takes it in a completely different direction. I love that about God. So he arrives, and it says this. And there's this small but important word, but. The son is expecting it to go this way, and the story says, but. God's going to go in a different direction to what we expected. While he was still a long way off. Sometimes we talk like you need to be the best Christian ever and then God likes you. Jesus tells the story of God the Father who loves the Son when he's way off. He's not even close. There's times when we are way off. Sometimes we don't like to admit it. We dress it up differently. But while he was way off, the father smiles. And it says the father saw him. A few weeks ago, we celebrated a baptism and somebody who was baptized said for them what shifted wasn't the, uh, the idea that God liked them, loved them, or even forgave them. But what was so poignant for them was the idea that this God sees you. This God sees me. Sees the best bits and the worst bits. When I'm a long way off, he sees and he smiles. And for many of us, we've had those moments where we probably don't want to be seen but I love that the story that Jesus tells of this God the Father is a God that sees us and likes what he sees and affirms us even when we're a long way off. He goes in for his speech. This is the speech where he's asking the girl out and the brother's not interested. The son said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He gets this part of the speech out. Powerful language. But the father said, quick, as in stop. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For those of you that like to delve a little bit deeper into the history and the story of what's going on in Jesus' day, the best robe would be a robe of honor. There are times in the Old Testament where there are special robes and garments that are made for favored ones. So this is the best robe that's being given. Sandals on the feet in their culture to not have sandals was a disgrace. It was a sign of poverty and despair. You're walking in the dirt, in the dung, and in the dust. And he instantly wants to remove the shame, which, by the way, at this time, is a valid shame for the offense and the mismanagement of his deeds and his actions. And even though it's valid, 
He redeems it and he wants to put sand on his feet. And the, the ring, the ring is always a symbol of covenant, of dedication, of commitment. In the Old Testament, God is described as frequently wanting to make covenants with people, wanting to put rings on their fingers, wanting to say, I will be your God and you will be my people. These symbols are loaded with meaning. This son of mine was dead and he's alive. It looked like he was going in this direction. It's gone a completely different direction. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called, what's going on here? Listen to the language. Your brother has come home, is what is said. They killed the fattened calf. The robe looks nice. The ring's on his fingers, and it's got sandals on. The older brother's angry. This isn't right. This shouldn't have happened. He did this. He did this. It's like the person that owes 100 looking at the person that owes 100,000 saying, what do you mean you canceled them both? I only owed 100. I made good decisions, good choices. Why are you canceling that person? They deserved that. They did this. It's not the economy that we see in this story. He becomes angry. His father pleaded with him. The heart of the father is unity between the two brothers. The son says this. this when this son of yours who has squandered your property, the servant said, your brothers come home. The older son disassociated disowns him and wants to cut the connection that he's a brother and addresses him as when this son of yours comes home. He wants division in the family. The father pleads with him for a different direction. The father says this to the older son, my son, he affirms him first. It's not rebuking the older son. Everything I had is yours, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours has come home. There is a tension where disunity is easy and at times we almost look for it, but the heart of the father is to say my son, my son to both. And when they're saying this son of yours, no, 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 this brother of yours. This is a story of unity. There's the accusation. It says that the brother says, this son of yours has spent the money on prostitutes and other things like this. That's a guess. We don't know that. The beginning of the text said he squandered it on wild living. Sometimes in the pursuit of disagreement, we create scenarios where we inflate the reality of what that person said. We assume wild living means this. We made that bit up. Be careful as we speak about other people that just because we see something that suggests they're in this camp, don't add too much to it. It's not what God does. My son, everything is yours. We had to celebrate this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. There's so much going on in this text. I've gone through it quickly. Let me ask a question, and I'm going to go back to where we began in a minute. 
Which son are you? If you put yourself in the story, which son are you? I'll leave that question hanging for a second. For some of us, probably haven't wandered that far. We haven't had the wild living, and therefore we kind of connect with the older brother. For others, we were way off the mark, and we're very grateful that this God sees us from a distance. But there's a oneness around the Father. So we started with the multiple debts, and I asked which one's happiest, and clearly the person who oh, the biggest debt is happiest. In this instance, it's the son who went off and squandered the lot. He's the happiest. There's a danger that the older brother fails to recognize because his piece of paper's got a small number on. He also had a debt to pay. We all have a debt to pay. We all need to recognize that as sons and daughters of God, we need to be in relationship. We need to be cleansed. We need those moments where we take the shift. We need those moments where we come to our senses. We need those moments where we, and this is an old-fashioned word, repent. We say sorry. We own our stuff. We don't dress it up. We own it and say, I've missed the mark by a long way. This isn't just a message for people that have never made a decision for Jesus. Often these stories were being told to people who were on the journey of following Jesus, which is us. So I want to bring this together with a story and some photos. A few weeks ago, I went for a couple of days to Lake Ontario. I'd never been to Lake Ontario. Uh, It's a big lake. I thought it would be quite easy to find. I drove as far as my Google Maps would take me, and then I lost all coverage as I was in one of those places where I kind of like this problem. There is no coverage. So I thought, well, how hard can it be to find a four and a half million acre lake? So I went for a walk. This is the first picture that I saw. I'm going to put these on the screen. There's five photos. This is the first picture. This is a dried out riverbed near the lake. I thought, okay, at some point in the not-too-distant past, there was water here. I must be going in the right direction. I kept walking, and I found this, the next picture, which kind of looks like a dried-out swamp. I'm now about half an hour in. I'm in upstate New York, and I've encountered what some people have told me about black flies. It was hot. It was sweaty. And they liked me a lot. And I'm getting stung and bitten. And I'm kind of getting annoyed at this point. Because how can you not find a four and a half million acre lake? And I had this moment. What do I do? Do I keep moving? Do I keep going? Or do I give up? Next picture. I saw this. Which is good. But it's not what I expected. At this point, I could have stopped. I've seen it. I've taken the picture. I could do my Instagram check-in, tell people I was here. I was really hot. I stank, and I was bitten, and I kept going. I kept walking. I eventually saw this. 
opens up, and then the day ended, and I saw this. This is why I tell this story at the end of this story. There are times where we just give up. We start out, and we give up. We don't know exactly how long it was, but it does say that it was a distant land and that he was a long way off. The son that came back had to continue on the journey of coming back. It would be very easy to get halfway. It would be very easy to stop. And for some of us, we try, we make decisions, we're going back, and then, and then we stop. We don't make it. I want to encourage you today, not just to meet Jesus for the first time, but to meet him afresh to meet the Father that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is the person and the means that makes it possible for us to be in relationship with this kind of God. Jesus isn't arguing that God exists. Jesus is saying, this is what God is like, and he wants to be in relationship with you. What is our response like trying to find a really big lake? Just keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. It's very easy to give up. Too many people that we know gave up at some point. They got to the ditch or they got to the estuary or they saw part of the water. Don't give up. Sometimes it's hot and you get bitten and sometimes things don't go to plan. Don't give up. Sometimes we think we don't owe that much. You're taking yourself too seriously. We all have a debt. Keep looking. And to quote Jesus, as you look, you'll find. I want to pray that we would have new and fresh revelations of this kind of God. I want us to explore and follow God that is the God that Jesus described. I'm increasingly less interested in the kind of God that sometimes the church has described and passionate about the kind of God that Jesus described. And for some of us, we've been doing this for a while. We've all got a debt to pay. We all miss the mark. Why don't we stand? I want to pray, and then Sarah's going to bring something, and we may pray for some people this morning. Just as you've got your eyes closed, I want to always make this offer, because this is the heart of Jesus. If you don't know this God, the God that Jesus described, the Father God that loves you, that sees you when you're a long way off, uh, Today, it's very easy to say, Jesus, I want to receive you. I want to recognize that I've got a debt to pay. And I want to know this kind of God. And simply pray, Father, I'm sorry. I give you my debt. In exchange, I receive Jesus. May this be a new beginning. And if you prayed that a long time ago and you you've slipped, you've strayed, you, to quote the story Jesus told, feel like you're quite a long way off, then maybe this is one of those moments for you where, again, to quote the passage, may you come to your senses. And if for you this is a moment where you need to come to your senses and say, Father, I'm sorry I started off, but I guess I stopped too easily. The bugs, the bites, the black flies put the brakes on it I want to come back I want to start afresh just pray
pray those simple, simple prayers to a father who calls you a son and a daughter, not because of what you have done, but because of who he is. Lord, we want to know this, God, this father. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing him to us. Lord, may we not tire of following you. May we not give up. Lord, I commend and honor those in this room that have faithfully followed you for a long time. Lord, I pray for those men and women, Lord, that you would renew the joy of their salvation afresh. And for those that are new, that are finding you afresh, Lord, may the joy of knowing you fuel them daily.